Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Welcome to Growing in Grace. My name is Victor Morrison. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Columbus, Texas. Hey, uh, what are you living for? Do you know that a recent uh, poll found out that 25% of Americans uh, have a clear sense of purpose? 25%. That means 75% do not. And so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's a lot of people who do not know why am I here? What, what am I living for? There was a man in the New Testament in Philippians 1.21 who said, for me, to live is Christ. Man, I submit that's a great reason to live, is to say, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. He's so worthy. You know, he loves you so much. I think that God created us, and so he has a wonderful plan. And so what we have to say is, Lord, Help me to truly live for you. So I pray that um, throughout this year that you would have this conviction in your heart that for you to live is Christ. I want to share Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7 because I feel like that it really defines what living for Christ looks like. What would you say is meant by that, uh, that phrase, uh, live for Christ? You know, what does that mean? So anyway, I pray that uh, today's devotion would, uh, would bless you and would inspire you and would cause you to say, I want to live for Christ. Let me read the scripture, and then I want to share with you seven thoughts about these two verses. In Colossians 2, 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There's so much truth that is condensed in those two verses, but let's unpack it a little bit at a time. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. We're talking something in the past. This man, the Apostle Paul, had trusted Jesus Christ. He had put his faith and his trust in the Lord. And so that's what he's referring to. Do you remember a time when you embraced Christ, when you said, I'll no longer depend upon my own good works. I will depend only in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there needs to be that moment in time when we realize living for Christ, or let's put it this way, life in Christ begins when we receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. That's what he's basing all that he's about to say on. So it's very important that we do that. You know, in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, there's something very uh, significant that the apostle John says about Jesus. And he says that he came to his own and his own received him not. 
So there were some people who did not receive Christ. But then he goes on to say, but to those who received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You know, there's something very powerful there whenever we come to that place where we say, I want to receive Christ. And I believe John 1.12 is telling us, how does one do that? Let me read it again. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So it takes faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it also, like we see here in this passage in Colossians 2, 6, it also involves this surrender to Christ as Lord when we're saying, I'm tired of making all the decisions, of, of sort of doing it my way. I want to do it your way. And so that's why I think he says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. I think there's a significance there. But he trusted Christ. He can tr- you can trust him. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never put your faith and trust in what he did for you on the cross, I encourage you to do that. Uh, he is so trustworthy. But I love this word uh, received here because it, it's actually a Greek word called paralambano, and it's used 48 times in the New Testament. So it's definitely prevalent out there. But it all begins for us living for Christ or receiving that life of Christ. It begins that day we put our trust in Jesus Christ. So that's the first point. But the second thing I would say is that he goes on to say, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. You know, I believe that there's a difference in just mere walking, like I've done many times around our football, around the track. You know, we have a stadium here in our community, and sometimes my wife and I would go for walks around the track. It's really not that bad because now the track is kind of foamy, and so it's real soft, and it's also level. So there's no real challenge to it. But That's a totally different picture whenever you climb Mount Fuji uh, just outside of Tokyo, Japan. I did that as well. I wouldn't classify that as walking up the mountain. I would say it's more like trekking. Uh, So I know that you know what I mean when I speak of trekking. But, you know, I believe that life is more like, well, let's compare it to trekking, that type of walking, than it is to that leisure stroll like we would do together, my wife and I, around that uh, track. But I got to looking in Colossians, and there's really uh, four different times that walk is referred to. I think here he's talking about, therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. So I think he's saying, let the Lord Jesus Christ be the power for your walk. Because we all know that life's walk, it has mountains and hills, sometimes it has valleys, sometimes it has twists and turns and things that we do not expect. So depend upon Him, the Lord, whenever you're ready to walk. Just like you depended upon Him for salvation, trust Him for strength and power. But also, I believe, 
Colossians 1.10 shows us that we should ask other people to pray for our personal walk with the Lord. You know, in Colossians 1 and verse 10, he's talking about some of the things that he prayed for the people in Colossae. And he says, one of the things he prayed was that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Is there anyone that you're good friends with that you would say, they're praying for me. They're praying for my personal walk. Well, I think that's an awesome thing to have someone that would do that. But chapter three, verses five through 10 tells us something else about our walk. Do you know that God actually expects us and commands us and coaches us to make progress in our walk? You see, we used to walk, or let's use the word live in this case. We used to live in a totally different way when we were not yet a Christian. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, you know, really, we need to be making progress in our walk with Christ. That's part of what living for Christ means. It means I'm not going to keep doing all of those bad habits I used to do before I met Christ. He's going to give me the power. I've got people praying for me that I will be leaving the past behind and I'll be walking with certain precautions and saying, I don't want to walk in that way anymore. That's the way I used to live. And that's why I think uh, Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6 brings up another part of trekking in Christ or walking with the Lord. You know, Paul also says we need to be prudent in our walk. What does he mean to be prudent, to be wise? Well, here's what he says. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know why we ought to walk with prudence? We should walk prudently through life because people are watching the way that we walk. They, they're watching where we walk. And so just be careful that you're moving forward in your walk with the Lord as you're living for Christ. Because if you want to go back and do those old things, then someone's going to be watching that. And they're going to get the wrong idea of what following Christ is really means. So we've learned so far that we're going to trust Christ so that we can actually receive that life that we find in Christ. We're going to walk in Him, and that's going to bring such a tremendous you know, change in our lives, in the direction of our lives. But there's a third thing here. When He uses this metaphor rooted in Him, it's sort of like whenever Jesus told the disciples in John 15 that he was the vine and they were the branches. 
You see, all of our nutrients and all of our nutrition, it comes through Christ. But I think there's another idea that he has in mind here where it's rooted in Christ. You know, that verb is in the passive voice, which means it's already done. The day you trusted Christ, the day you received life from him, you know what happened? Your roots went down immediately in Christ. That's passive voice already done. But it's also the perfect tense, which means it's continually affecting your whole life. And so now the wonderful news is you are rooted in Christ. You know, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 describes the man who trusts in the Lord. But it, it talks about how he's like this man whose roots are by a river and he's going to be, you know, bearing fruit and so forth. That's what we find in Christ. Another place is in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. I would even point you to a closer place if you're in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, and that is Ephesians 3, 6 through 19. In Ephesians 3, 6 through 19, here's what it says. It says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Hey, listen, you are tethered to Christ. It's incredible. Have you ever heard of the last tree of Tenry? It's a place in Northeast Niger, and it's unusual because there's only one tree. I think it's an acacia tree, but it's called the last tree of Tenry because for 250 miles, there are no other trees. It's just like the moon, and there's this one tree. You know the difference? Its root goes down 131 feet. It tapped in to the water table, wherever it is, way down there. Hey, you are also tethered to Christ. But because you're tethered to Christ, there's something else that is ongoing. It's like a present tense, continual process. You know what else is happening? You and I are being transformed into Christ's likeness, into the image of Christ. That's the idea with not the agricultural metaphor of roots, but the architectural metaphor of being built up in him. What are we being built up to? What are we going to resemble when when the project is finished? I'll tell you what it is. In Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16, the Lord makes it real clear. The end goal is the stature of the fullness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that the Holy Spirit is in us. And while we're looking into this mirror dimly, we can't quite make out that image. We are being transformed into that image from glory to glory as God's winning more and more victories within us in making us more like Christ. So have you ever wondered, what is God trying to do in my life? Do you know that Romans 8, 28 says that God is going to work all things together for a good purpose in our lives? 
The only thing is, you know what the good purpose is? Hey, it's not comfort. It's not wealth and success and health and all those kind of things. They may come, and I pray that they will come to you, but that's not that's not the most important. The highest priority of God is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he says in Colossians, not 8, 20, in Romans 8, 28, but in Romans 8, 29. So that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. But I love also how it moves to a third metaphor. It says, and established in the faith, and established in the faith. It's an economic or a legal metaphor, this word established. It could mean to confirm, to guarantee, to make sure. It was used back then to prove the validity of a, per- of a purchase. You know, how do you know for sure? How does someone know for certain when you walk out of the, the doors of a store, let's say that someone thought you shoplifted. How can you prove to them that you, you paid for that item? The receipt. The receipt validates the fact that you bought that item. Well, that's what they would use. This is the same word. It's the validity of a purpose or with legal transactions, if it was in the court system, it meant to guarantee that these things have been approved by the courts. They were examined and approved. And so it's interesting how it says established in the faith and this established is also in the passive voice. In other words, you didn't certify anything and I didn't certify anything. It is an outside source that does the certification and the validation. You know what I think it is? I think that our guarantee is the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is referred to as a guarantee. You know what God is guaranteeing? He's guaranteeing us We belong to him and he's guaranteeing you and me that there's more to come. There's better things ahead. And so here's the fifth thing. I believe that as we're living for Christ, something is being validated. We are testifying. The Holy Spirit is testifying to Christ and to all that Christ has promised. You know, he promised, hey, I'm going to make a place for you so that you can come and be with me. Well, let me tell you. That right there is constantly being testified to by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's our assurance of salvation that we belong to Him, but also the Word of God, the promises of God. That's how we know. He says we're being established in the faith. There's a core, there's a core doctrine. There's a core belief, a a whole way of, of having convictions that I think is sound whenever it's based on the Word of God. And so all of that is being testified to as we live for Christ. We're hearing over and over through the Holy Spirit. We're hearing over and over through promises in God's Word. This is what's ahead for you. And it just gives us an incentive. I believe I'm going to live for Him more and more. But why don't we move to a sixth thing? Not only testifying to Christ and transforming into the image of Christ or into Christ's likeness, not only being tethered to Christ and rooted in Him, not only walking with Him or trekking in Christ and receiving Him at the beginning when we trusted Christ, 
But here's the sixth thing. We are also being taught about Christ. Just as you were taught, he says. Do you know, if you were to go back to Colossians chapter 5 and verse 8, you would learn who taught them at the very beginning the gospel. Do you remember who taught you the gospel? Was it your mom? Was it your dad? Was it your grandfather or grandmother? Was it a pastor? Was it a Sunday school teacher? How did you first learn the, the basic truths of the gospel? Here's how they did. He says, of this you have learned before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You know, we don't, we don't know that much about this man. I mean, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't, you know, on the level, I guess you'd say, of the Apostle Paul, but he was a church planter in Colossae. He did what he could to help others to trust Christ and to know the Word of God. Do you remember those early disciples? It says that many of them came to know the Lord in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. What did they do immediately after they were baptized? Acts 2.42 says that early group of baby Christians, new Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I love 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 17, because I feel like that through Paul's words, it gives us an inside look at the teaching and the training, the mentoring that was taking place in the early church. He talks about how they've had many instructors. They have had many people teaching them, but they had only had one father in the gospel speaking of himself. But, you know, God will bring into your life people who will help you learn and grow and move further down the road. That's why we have Growing in Grace. We want to be a part of that process of helping you to keep moving forward in Christ in your personal walk with Him. That's why we hope that you are being blessed through the teachings and through these uh, podcasts that you listen to. Well, let me close where he closes out these two verses with the seventh observation, and that is thanking Christ. Abounding in thanksgiving is the way he says it. Abounding in thanksgiving? Abounding? You know what that means? It means overflowing with gratitude. Do you overflow with gratitude? Wow. You know, sometimes it's a challenge to overflow with gratitude. I mean, God's good to us constantly, but sometimes why is it so so much easier to gripe or to grumble <laughs> rather than to be grateful and to express our gratitude and our thanks to God? There's a Bible commentator from the past named Matthew Henry. They say that Matthew Henry was walking down the street one time when he was suddenly robbed. Some, some people just took his money and so forth, and then they ran off. So later, Matthew Henry was talking to his friends about it, and he told his friends, you know, they were saying, that's terrible. I'm so sorry that happened. You know what he told them? 
He said, yeah, but there's four things that I've been thanking God for all day long. And they said, you got to be kidding. What can you thank God for related to the robbery? Here's what he said. He said, well, for example, first thing is I thanked him that I've never been robbed before. That's the only time in my whole entire life I've been robbed. So I just thank God. You know what, Lord, even though they took some money from me, I've never been robbed before. He said, the second thing I thanked the Lord for was, yeah, they took all that I had. But to be honest, I didn't have that much on me at the time. And so he said, they really didn't get that much. So he said, I really just stopped to thank God. I didn't have all the money I had. I just had a little bit with me that particular day. So I thought, well, there's a, another reason, a second reason that I could give God thanks. And he said, then I realized, wait a minute. You know what the most important thing I'm thankful for is? They took my money, but they didn't take my life. They, they didn't kill me to take my money. He said, I'm so grateful for that. And they said, well, okay, that's three, but you said there was four. He said, yeah, well, the fourth one is kind of a little bit of a stretch, but I do mean it. And they said, well, tell us, these three have been so amazing. What is the fourth one? He said, well, the fourth one is, I'm thankful it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. And so anyway, he was just grateful that in his own personal life, he was walking with Christ so much that he would rather give through his life rather than steal from other people and what they had. Wow. You know, I think it's important to be thankful as we go through life. Have you ever taken time to really think about what the Apostle Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2? Listen to what he says. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You know why I think it's important to be thankful? Well, because it keeps us spiritually alert. It keeps you watching. It keeps you on your toes, you know, uh, thanking God and saying, what will he do next? But I think there's one last thing in Revelation 9, uh, 4, verse 9, in Revelation 7 and verse 12, at least two times. You know what they're doing in heaven? Well, they're praising God for sure. But along with their praise and worship, I'll tell you something else they're doing. They're giving thanks to God. They're giving thanks to him. So why don't you just go ahead and get, get your stretches in now, you know, do your rehearsal now and get ready because when we get in heaven and we're there for all eternity, I guarantee you, we're going to be thanking him. Hey, why don't we just pause and thank the Lord now for Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. There's so much here. I encourage you to take time, maybe write your own observations about these two verses. How would you describe walking with Christ or living for Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've taught us today through your word. Lord, it's always exciting when we look into it. We never know what you're going to say to us. Passages that we've read over and over again, they just come alive with fresh new meaning and application. And so I pray for my friends that are listening, that you would truly help them just simply live for Christ, to make that their whole life that their life would be wrapped up in wanting to live for Jesus, wanting to glorify Him, wanting to love Him, wanting to walk with Him, wanting to trust Him. Thank you so much, Lord, that really 
you're worth it. You are worthy of our very best. You're, you're worthy of our lives. And so help us, Lord, to live for you. Thank you again for this time that we shared together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, you have a great week. Pray that God will bless you. I pray that you'll keep moving forward now in your walk with Christ. Live for Jesus in 2024. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.